Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do i use on my racket i use the mega tack you're going to be attacking with that mega tack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at cracked rackets you know i'm a hairy guy as you can imagine i sweat when i play the only grip that works for me is the turn of tennis grip of course the mega tack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turn of grip today it's simple you're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you'll get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Challenge of the Podcast. It's actually going to be pretty quick today, I feel like. Only seven events to talk about? We're not used to, we're not used to that, really. But yeah, before we start, we can add some additional uh, you know, material to our talk. And let's talk about the guys who made the Top 100 but weren't playing the Challenger Tour this week, so we wouldn't be able to cover them during the recaps. Yes, yeah. So we're talking about uh, JJ Wolf and Juan Pablo Varias here. They have both uh, broken the top 100 for the first time in their careers, as has another player who we will talk about a bit later. Uh, but yeah, for Varias, he played Kisbio this week, uh, beat Carlos Tabernet, lost to Ramos Vignolas, and that was enough to get him to number 97. Uh, it, it was also obviously helped by the week that he had in, in Gestad the week before the run to the quarterfinals out of uh, qualifying, got a win over Sonego and Bautista Agut. So he has really uh, set a marker down uh, in, in these last two weeks uh, and, and we'll, we'll see how he progresses from there. For JJ Wolf, bit of a different story. Uh, <laughs> he retired. Uh, he had to retire from Atlanta Qualies uh, against Donald Young of all people. Uh, before that, he had that loss to Billy Harris in the first down in Indiana. Uh, before that, even he had a quarterfinal in in Rome. He he's he's not had that sort of uh, recent result like Mariette has, but nonetheless, he got up four spots. He's at number ninety nine in the rankings. And he has now broken the top 100. Yeah. So what do you think about these two guys? Do you think they'll stick around for long? What are their chances of progressing even further? Yeah. As you said, Wolf isn't exactly in form, but I think it's pretty clear that when he's on, he can play huge guys. He can hang with them. He can beat them. Uh, I think we saw it at the Sunshine Double, for example. Farias, I honestly have no idea. 
Like I, I, I got so used to this guy being in the 120th spot. I honestly at some point thought he might never do it. I, I have yeah. this friend on, on Twitter who's uh, very, like very critical, has a lot of opinions about players' ceilings and all. And mm-hmm. he seems to be a huge fan of Varias. And he is very convinced that once Varias broke the top 100, like that he's one of these guys like, I don't know, Botik van Zanskul, Boscarote, whoever, that they just needed the opportunity. And when they will get there, they will stick around. I don't know. I, I'm i not convinced, but it would also not be like super surprising, right? Yeah, I mean, we we've had guys recently like I don't know Federico Coria or or Hugo Dayen, and I feel like he's certainly like ceiling wise not worse than them for sure, and and they've been around that sort of sixty ish spot before, uh, so I definitely see him going there if if he if he gets a if he gets a good couple of runs in a season, I'm thinking you know in the, in the gold swing maybe he combines a couple of results with. Uh, um, a couple of those results potentially with what he has had now um in europe i feel like he he can certainly make a run for top 50 yeah yeah actually i didn't really think of it this way but i think these korea delian comparisons are actually pretty oh, useful yeah. and yeah he he doesn't seem to be i mean he's definitely should have a higher seating than delian who doesn't yeah. like that delian just really maximized his potential i think he he's amazing at what he does but uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm actually kind of more optimistic regarding Juan Pablo Varias' chances. I changed your uh, mind right now, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess we can just go to uh, to the challenges that we've had this week. Although, actually, maybe I'll start with that because there's a tweet that I wanted to mention, and I didn't know when to do that. We're going to talk about Renzo Olivo in a, in, a, in in some time, but he ma- he made this uh, this tweet this week where he said. Well, this is new for challengers, same week as US Open qualies and the facepalm emoji. And he just posted a screenshot of the calendar during the first, well, during the qualifying for the US Open and the first week of the US Open. Uh, so, yeah, my question to you, I guess, is is it fine to have four challenger events in the same week as the US Open qualies? And I do also have to mention what challenger events they are like in terms of, uh, you know, the the categories. So it's Pania Luca and Grand B in the 80s and Prague and Nontaburi in Thailand Challenger 50s. Yeah, four four feels like a lot to me. Like that that feels like quite a bit to have. It, it, it is obviously two fifties. Maybe I'd maybe I'd scratch Banya Luca or or Prague uh, out of one of those. But but to be fair, even having Grand B the same week as as US Open Qualies feels quite odd to me. Yeah, um, I think I think if you if we were to scratch one of them, I think Grand B is actually the choice. Yeah, you're, you're, why, why you're do you need it? Yeah. yeah, why why do you need it if everyone over two hundred sixty ranked will be at US Open qualifying anyway? I think what Olivo means is that well, he while he's playing US Open qualifying and risking well, ninety six players there, well more. 112 players there aren't going to qualify and they're they're not going to gain much points that at the same time some some guys ranked I don't know, outside the top 300 are going to just vulture these events and i think it is a very fair point with granby but the rest honestly i mean Luca just for the guys who didn't want to go to us open qualies 
uh, Pragnum yeah. Taburi. I mean, these guys, the, these events are designed for this, right? The, these events for, are designed the to. Yeah. Yeah. Granby feels particularly weird to me because obviously Canada has the stricter uh, laws around COVID where if, if you test positive there, you have to isolate for those 10 days. So I can't see anybody who's above that uh, uh, slam qualifying rank going over to Canada and risking that sort of situation right before the US Open, which is one of their biggest paydays of the year. So I think that Granby field will be very, very weak. I have no idea who's going to play there. Like... Yeah, we should we should have that field in a couple in a couple of days actually because we already have the field for the week prior, and yeah, it should be Monday or or later next week. So yeah. we're gonna see what's the deal there. Also, the Thailand field in Nontaburi that's also pretty interesting because yeah. who the hell knows who, who which guys are going to show up there. Also, we, we should we, sh we shouldn't really expect much, obviously, from from these Thailand events. But uh, but yeah, um, so I guess that's that's settled. I thought this was uh, this was a pretty interesting idea from Enzo Olivo. I've actually heard it before, uh, like players uh, being uh, angry about the amount of events in the well, because usually you'd think that players would want more as as many events as they as the you know as as, as you can give them. But yeah. I, I have already heard this on an Ilya Marchenko video. I can't remember which one it was, but basically he was talking to some guys. I remember Justino was there. It must have been like May or something like that. And he was talking to them and a, like a lot of the discussions were actually based on this exactly. That in US Open, not US Open, but in Grand Slam qualifying weeks, in Grand Slam first, uh, no, first weeks, maybe not. First weeks, you actually need challengers. But I think about Grand Slam qualifying weeks, uh, that's, it's very, it's shocking. It's new to them that there are so many events in these weeks and it's probably not needed. But I think it's clear that the, the challenger tour is really trying to go huge this year because we're we're on pace for some almost 200 events and that that didn't really happen before so uh yeah yeah the the one thing that i just can't understand so so then you look at the week after for during the uh first week of the us open why isn't granby there instead of the slam qualifying week i feel like you'd have a lot of guys who want to stay on the north american hard courts oh yeah and there's nothing uh, for uh, one more uh, week and there's no american there's a hard court event in mallorca but that is a long way to travel if 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 you um lost in the final qualifying round for, for example yeah like could you make that turnaround that faster as opposed to granby um yeah it just it, it's just sort of nonsensical and i feel like we could have weeks like this one i feel like this this week i'm a little bit or this upcoming week i'm a bit confused why we only have three events as opposed to four and then having four in, in the slam qualifying week it's sort of confusing um but we can get to the recaps now let's start in zug our 125 of the week which was won by dominic stricker uh, for me, a little bit surprising, but more surprising was the finalist, Enes Gulbis, out of qualifying. Uh, Stricker won the match 5-7-6-1-6-3 to win his third challenger title. Up 47 spots, number 125, breaking the top 150. He had that very strong start to the season, and it's been, uh, I mean, at least on the challengers, almost uh, like quite disappointing. He had that second round, second round run in Stuttgart. But outside of that, there's been very little happening for him uh, since the BL semis, really. Uh, but he comes here, wins the title. 
did it by beating Josef Kovalik 6-4 in the third to open. Then he got a second uh, set retirement from Harold Mayo in the second round. Uh, then it was straight set wins for him over Richard and Blancano, and then came back from a set down here to beat Gulbis. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Dominic Sticker? Were you as surprised as me to, <laughs> to see him uh, pop off like this this week? Uh, yeah, I mean, not not one of the guys I looked at because his form was just abysmal. But yeah, with with how much how talented he is and how inconsistent he's been, I guess you just have to have these runs every once in a while. Uh, especially on Saturday, he was amazing because he beat Richard and Blancano both on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, we we had some yeah we had some rain delays in Zug, of course. That's why it happened. And uh, and yeah, with with the with the scale of talent that he has, I feel like we very often come off as uh, just just having too high expectations for a nineteen year old. But I think it's all in goodwill, and like we just we just see how much potential there is, and that's why we're maybe sometimes a little over eager to see some results. Uh, I remember last year, maybe at the end of it, I was recording a show with Alex Graskin and he was like, uh, like he asked me the qu- a question, like what kind of a season would satisfy me with Streaker next year? Like where, where I would be like fully ready to go huge on him that he's going to be, I don't know, in the top 10 or something. And I remember saying something along the lines of free challenger titles but even if you know he's almost there right now but i feel yeah. like i i wanted the results to be a little more consistent uh, but yeah i mean if if he gets i don't know four titles instead of three but the, the results are a little less consistent i'm going to be fine he's not defending that much until the end of the year i think only bl semis so yeah plenty of chance to go to the top 100 very soon he's like 94 points away right i think on monday so yeah yeah i mean w- within the challenger result in the in that uh, challenger race uh he's going up to number 11 ahead of yibing wu ahead of uh galan ahead of borges and it's sort of weird to think about that because he has been so bad for for such a large portion of the of the season um but yeah i mean ultimately if you, if you look at that resume that he's had in terms of titles and stuff like that it's it's been a pretty pretty decent season so far um of course we have to talk about ns gubis uh this <laughs> huge result <laughs> so wild his ninth challenger final first one since uh march 2020 in pow where he won the title uh, um biggest result since the pandemic really uh uh, moving up 87 spots, number 278. He, he was quite low down in the rankings. I didn't realize that he was basically 350-ish. Uh, his journey, as I said, beginning in qualifying, beating Anton Matosevic. Final qualifying round, he goes down a bagel uh, to Ishai Oliel, uh, but wins 6-4 in the third. And then in the main draw, began by beating Genuka Maguer, 6-2 in the third, and then was straight set wins over Ugo Blanche, Denis Novak, and Dimitar Kuzmanov before losing here in this final. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Gubis this week? Yeah, I think the serve really liked the slight altitude conditions, but in general, obviously, it's such a huge run, such a shock. And I, yeah, the ranking seems weird when you see it, 365 or whatever it was. But when you look at his results, since the pandemic, he's literally made two quarterfinals. 
uh, one one mm. semi in Sherbrooke this year and one quarterfinal in Biela last year. He's just been dead awful since the pandemic. Aslan Karatsev destroyed him in the Czech Challengers uh, of <laughs> 2020. And then Gulbis never never got back to his former self. And you mentioned that poor challenger, which was like to me, it was an iconic edition of that event because obviously Jelanovic <laughs> was in the final. That was still like the early days of his comeback where it felt like he could be, I don't know, a top 100 player at the end of the year because that was the, the quality that he was showing early. What happened later, we all know, he 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 basically stopped playing after the pandemic for another two years. Uh, but so so this is a this is an event I really remember clearly with Gulbis beating Cleo Borg in the first round as well. So yeah, just truly iconic. Uh, and this one, uh, even if the opposition wasn't really that good in most uh, in most of Gulbis's matches, I mean, Denis Novak, of course, but he he hasn't been in great form. Uh, Kuzmanov in the in the semi altitude clay, you know that that's not really his thing. But still, to to have this sort of just win six matches in a row has been a thing that Gulbis hasn't done in years. So uh, that's awesome. He was actually a win away from making U.S. Open qualifying. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as it stands, it's there's a great chance that uh, because the, he didn't make it, I'm gonna see him again in Kozerki two in two weeks. So I guess that's some sort of a um, uh, some sort of a benefit for me. Uh, definitely could have won the final. I mean, at, up until 7-5-1-1, I think there was like this slight chance, the second game of the second set, where he, where Stricker went down 0-30 on serve. Uh, and then just that, that one break point that, uh, that Stricker took with the return winner just steered the match away from, from Gulbis, although he had uh, a couple of break points early on in the third. So really, there, there there were chances there. It definitely wasn't like Streaker was destined to win that final. Gulbis sort of tanked the second set, to be honest with you. And yeah, um, I have no idea if this will ever repeat itself. Even last week when he had this decent run in Trieste, it was, you know, that 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 phenomenal match against Martino. Not phenomenal in terms of the quality, but in terms of all the quotes that he that he had there. I don't know if you saw them. Uh, no, he basically got a warning for saying "come on" to Martino, like straight up to his face, because Martino had some issues with him, and the umpire gave him the warning. And Gulbi said, "Like, what is what is this? Is this a sport or an aristocratic dinner?" That that was that that was <laughs> one of them. And uh, after the match, he said something like, uh, "Stop talking to me, to Martino." Uh, I won, you lost. Even though I played badly, you you still can't beat me. Something like that. I mean, it it, it was really uh, such a big mess. Wow. And yeah, and the week and the, the week after, the guy just goes and plays his best tennis in two years and makes a challenger final. I don't know, fantastic yeah, story. That's sure. that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean that that fit is I think is an is like an underrated thing to this because I think he's at like three or four. Retirements uh, or or withdraw, mm-hmm. like withdrawals uh, from matches this year. Uh, so to see him come out of qualifying in that after that tough match against Oliel, and to just keep going through this main draw, that was that was quite shocking to me. Yeah, I just saw a a, a great quote from his uh, like from the trophy ceremony today where he thanked his wife 
I'm, I'm not going to read it out because it kind of, uh, you know, it destroys the magic a bit. But if you if you guys want to see it, I think I retweeted it. And it's like, yeah, you know, a tearjerker, definitely. Great, <laughs> right, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have a look at that later. Um, we can talk about the semifinalists we had in Zouk. Uh, let's start with Jeffrey Blancano, who certainly had the, the tougher road of the two semifinalists uh, that we had. Began by beating Melijini Alves, 6-3 in the third. Uh, then beat Andrea Arnaboldi in straight sets. Uh, then uh, a stunning match against Mark andrea uh, Wessler, 7-6-6-7-6-3. And then lost to uh, Sticker. Yeah, what did you think of Jeffrey Blancano this week? Yeah, I recall watching Blancano play Maligeni Alves like the last week uh, in Trieste, and I figured that if Maligeni Alves won there, then in altitude conditions it should be even easier. But well, it wasn't, and uh, I was very surprised to see where Blancano is in the race ranking, like about one hundred and twenty. <laughs> I feel like he's just oh, wow. not really given <laughs> enough credit for for what he's been doing this year, and it's myself included, mm -hmm. honestly. <laughs> Yeah, 124. I think he was probably over um, surpassed by Grenier uh, and some and Gomez, Gomez since then. So, yeah, that's why. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that's really quite surprising to me. I I, I didn't really like remember any of his big results out of this run, uh, and uh, the French Open qualifying. Obviously, I, I had mm -hmm. him there, so watching his matches then. Um, but yeah, quite surprising that he's around the, the 120 range. That's that's quite interesting. Uh, and the other semifinals was Dimitar Kuzmanov, uh, who, who had the easier road of the two for sure, uh, beating Johan Niklas in straight sets and Otto Vitanen 7-6 in the third, uh, Lorenzo Giustino in the quarters, his fourth semifinal uh, of this season for Kuzmanov. What did you think of him this week? Yeah, I mean, as I said before, altitude clay doesn't really favor his game, I suppose, but he makes it work uh, just like he does every single every single tournament, right? Uh, he's uh, he's a friend of the show, you could say. He We, we had him here before, and we obviously uh, root for these guys. Uh, yeah, just, just another super solid Kuzmanov week, which is what he's best at. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other singles guy you want to talk about? Zook, probably not. Right, we can go oh, over. Uh, maybe you should mention that we both had Struff as a peak, and he was just very underwhelming in in both matches. Really, I'm not sure yeah. what happened there. Really, yeah, not 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 a great pick from us. Usually, when we go both go for the same guy, it's at least like you know they they reach the quarters. At but this was quite underwhelming. Yeah. Uh, as for the doubles, we had Steja Kolarz with yet another challenger doubles title, his 16th now, uh, which is insane. I mean, he's only 25. By the time, you know, he gets towards the later stages of his career, he might be attacking that future zone I recorded. <laughs> uh, but, but this one he got with Adam Pavlasek beating Karol uh, Drzewiecki and Patrik Niklas Salminen in the final. Right, we can go over to Segovia, where we had a French derby in the final. Uh, Hugo Grenier coming out on top, beating Constant Lestien 7-5-6-3 for his second challenger title. He's up 11 spots, number 120, his new career high ranking. Uh, as for his run, he was very uh, solid throughout it, beating Borokanyas in straight sets, Kuhn in straight sets, Gregor Barrier in straight sets as well. 
Uh, then you dropped this first set to Ugo Humbert, uh, who I think we both picked uh, this yeah. week, right? Yeah, uh, beat him 6-2 in the third and then got a straight sets win in the final as well. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Grenier? Yeah, he's got this like weird mixture of a big serve and then playing kind of passively in the rallies, which is interesting to see. Definitely a nasty opening round draw. When I saw he was playing Morocanias, I, I had no intention of picking him ever. Uh, the, the win against Umber, of course, he Umber led 7-6 for, for 4-2, I think. And it was really just a matter of whether he can play, you know, fi- finish off points effectively. He couldn't. At the last end, uh, well, he just was, he just didn't have any fuel left for the final. So I don't think it's like a super strong run for Grenier. But still, with, together with the Alicante final that he had last year, also again uh, against Lestien, right? And with the Rohan title at Rohan, this is really just uh, putting him just like Streaker in in a position to attack the top one hundred, which is which is also pretty crazy. But I guess with the with the sort of results that he's been getting over the past year or so, it it actually makes sense. Although in his case, it feels like he. Uh, has a bit of a race to to make it before the Alicante points drop because you I don't think you know he's he's getting points as easy as Stricker could just by randomly picking for a week. Yeah, I mean you you, you mentioned Lestien there. Uh, it was obviously a much tougher run for him physically compared to Pozoblanco uh, last week, but he made his tenth challenger final. The top 100 up 15 spots to number 90. Uh, he's number three in the challenger race behind Alice and Kachin. Uh, as for a run this week, he became with a uh, uh, he he began with a three-set win over Barroso Campos. Uh, then beat Escofier like he did last week in straight sets. Uh, then a quarterfinal with Bench Block, uh, which went six-three in the third. Uh, then a very, very tough semi against uh, Michael Hertz, uh, which he won in a third set tiebreaker. Uh, and it, it just didn't seem like he had enough in the final, did it? Oh, I forgot that I uh, I had something else. We were actually uh, given a pronunciation lesson of uh, Hertz, of Hertz uh, or something like that. I actually had to uh, yeah get my phone and listen to it again. I was supposed to learn, but I did not. Uh, but I think it was something along the lines of Hertz, and with the name, it was, um, well, uh, yeah, I, I will listen to it again. Uh, give me three seconds. Yeah, uh, apparently it's Michael Hertz, uh, which is not really close to what we've been doing. Definitely not. But well, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. Belgium is a tough country to 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 learn the pronunciation because you never really know if it's the Dutch side or the or the you know the, the French one in terms of the language, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So back to this, of course. Yeah, Lestien had just had such a tough time against guys like Locke and her and Hertz. Uh, they're he's usually much better than them, of course, especially Locke, who's just not really a challenger player most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really figured that out of these two Frenchmen uh, that that I that I really wanted to see a final between them, so Umber and Lestien. 
I figured that it was going to be Umber who was actually getting there because of how tired Lestien looked. But he he just kept. I mean, he even had some ankle issue in the third set against against Hirts, and he had to break to stay in the match. He he won it. Even even had his chances to close out the opening set in the final. But I, I just don't think you know fatigue would have let him win this regardless. Uh, obviously, fantastic for him that he broke the top 100 at the age of 30, having his best year, never this consistent, that's for sure. And, and yeah, just a guy I really gained so much respect for this year, not in terms of personality, because that you know I don't know him, but just in terms of how, how good he is at tennis, simply. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, and it, it was... Like oh, that Hertz match was just sheer willpower that got him through, and maybe a little bit of a of a Hertz choke uh, towards <laughs> towards that third set. But uh, yeah, it's just very very impressive at the age of thirty to be able to suddenly pull out this great season and get himself uh, to the top one hundred. Uh, yeah, speaking of Hertz, I didn't realize that he was a bit of a Spanish hardcore. Uh, specialist in the in the you know Chelik be like mold at least last season, uh, but this was his third challenger semifinal. All of them on Spanish hard courts. Uh, on this run, he beat Popko, EFCF, and Nava. Uh, yeah, what did you think of hits uh, this this week? Yeah, didn't didn't remember the Mallorca final, but I definitely remembered the one in Pozoblanco because of the Bonzi win, which was which was a kind of a huge deal then. Um, Obviously, even even right now, it would have been a super huge deal because Bonzi is the, the absolute challenger king. Uh, yeah, he's just got this very nice attacking baseline game. I think he can he can really win challengers at some point in the future for sure. Uh, just didn't really didn't really manage to to be clutch enough against Lestien, which I guess makes sense because you know the experience at that level is uh, is a bit lacking. Um, Lestien is also a bit of a Spanish hardcore specialist, isn't he? <laughs> he 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 had this yeah. Alicante title last year, and this year, if he, I think if he won, he would have been like fifteen and zero in Spain in the, the, this year, or something like that. Uh, I think if he if he won the final, because did he play in Spain earlier in the year? I don't think there was a chance. Uh, yeah. I so, remember. Yeah. So if he if he won the final, he would have been fifteen and zero in Spain this year. And right now he's fourteen and one, so also pretty damn excellent. Because the only loss he had in in July was uh, via retirement in Porto. So you know the other side of the border. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's very interesting these sort of uh, like micro runs that we have on the challenger tour and which guys just tend to do tend to do better at them. Um somebody who's done pretty good this week uh, although obviously must be a bit disappointed is Ugo Umber uh with the semi-final run back to back semis now after after last week. Um but this week he he must feel worse about it uh, beating the camps Masur, Nuno Borges in the quarters, uh, and then being 4-2 up in the second set uh, on Grenier. Uh, yeah, well, what do you think went wrong for him, and where do you think he goes from here? Yeah, against Butter in Pozoblanco, I think it was mostly the backhand that failed him here. I guess just mental issues. I mean, uh, obviously he has the talent, obviously he scored a few good wins, because beating Borges and Masur, that's, that's pretty huge and in his current state. Uh, but still, uh, a couple of semis just has to be 
good for him. More playtime, more confidence, even if losing in, in a couple of semis is uh, somewhat underwhelming for a player who probably felt like he was uh, in the top 30 quality-wise just a couple of months ago. Mm. And then it all just went to... If you remember the beginning of this year, he's literally his first match, he beat Daniel Medvedev. <laughs> and look where he is right now. <laughs> And look where Medvedev is because he wasn't the number one back then, even. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 quite it's quite weird to look at now. Um, we should also talk about Benjamin Locke, uh, who has this quarterfinal run. <laughs> you look very unexcited <laughs> or unhappy. Yeah, uh, I am. Yeah. yeah, so Benjamin Locke uh, was two match points down to Dominic Palan in the first qualifying round, uh, came out on top, then beat Kenny Deschepper from a set down. Uh, first round, he beats Chelikby like 6 love 6 2. I didn't watch the match, but it must have been, I, I don't know what that could have been uh, to make that result happen. Second round, he beats Marchenko 6 3 in the third, and then he pushes Lestien uh, quite closely in the quarterfinals. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he reached the quarterfinals last week as well in Nur Sultan. Those are his, his first career uh, challenger quarterfinals at age 29 uh, these last two weeks. Yeah, what did you think of Benjamin Locke? I mean, he's got this very basic attacking game with a physical style. I mean, he's super like well built. I don't know. I mean, he he's just not exciting at all. I'm sorry, Benjamin Log, but I mean, I guess it's cool to see players from Zimbabwe do well. Uh, obviously, he's been playing a lot with a lot of doubles with his brother, uh, but the brother is not really playing singles anymore. I think. I don't know. This is a very random couple of, you know, these rounds feel very random. I also didn't see the Chalik Bilek match and I didn't really see any, like I was supposed to rewatch it, but I forgot and I didn't see any like, realistic summary of it on the internet. So I, 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 I have no clue what happened there. Absolutely. And yeah, he, he was very close to beating Lestien on well, basically on the physicality, but also kind of failed to just step up when needed in the third. Yeah, and I think that log nicely leads us onto the doubles, unless you want to talk about anybody else in Segovia. Oh, we can go to the doubles. Yeah, the doubles, as uh, we suggested at the beginning of the week, was a, a bit of a shit show. Uh, it sort of brought out some players that we weren't expecting at all. Uh, but we had ultimately Nicolas Alvarez Varona and Iñaki Montes de la Torre uh, lifting the, uh, the the doubles title uh, for Montes de la Torre. It was his challenger doubles debut. Uh, Alvarez Varona, it was his first challenger semifinal when he was playing this week. So two quite unexperienced young Spanish guys. And they beat Benjamin Locke and his brother, Courtney John Locke. Uh, in the final seven six six three, uh, Locke has had some challenger doubles experience before. I think this was like sixth final. He had back to back titles last year in in Nur Sultan um, with Sue. But for uh, Courtney Locke, it was his first challenger final uh, after thirteen ITF titles together. So that's that's sort of an interesting story. The the Locke brothers coming up together. Maybe we'll see them again. Uh, but. Yeah, you you probably don't wish to. I can watch them in doubles. I'm pretty sure I watched uh, one of them in Helsinki last year with Istomin, and they did pretty well. 
Uh, I think it was Courtney John, but I I wouldn't really yeah I wouldn't be surprised if it was Ben. They they look kind of alike, right? I I think so. Yeah, so I guess we need to go to San Benedetto now. Yes, San Benedetto. We've been talking about all these young Italians popping up, having their first big runs. Uh, and this week we got two uh, new finalists, one new typist uh, on the Challenger Tour, both from Italy, but they are more of the labor, uh, lame, lame, late bloomer category. Uh, in Raul Brancaccio and Andrea Vavasori, Brancaccio dominating the final, 6-1-6-1, winning his first Challenger title. Uh, It was only his second uh, time reaching the semifinals, even on the Challenger Tour. Uh, In the rankings, he was up 78 spots, number 206, breaking the top 250. His week started in qualifying, uh, beating Federico uh, Arnaboldi and Marti Pojuras. Um, then in the first round he beat Maestrelli uh, second round Bucinelli that made the quarterfinals Arnaldi semifinals Datteri uh, yeah what did you think of this run from, from Brancaccio yeah I think we sort of hinted or I think I might have in recent weeks about him when I I, I remember watching him against Perivo and Bichalski and his forehand was just really insane and yeah, that 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 sort of transformed into this big run for him, where he, you know, whole month of July he was actually uh, quite perfect when it comes to when it comes to you know his game, because we never we never saw him as a potential you know top two hundred prospect. I don't think anyone did, and then he suddenly improved uh, over the course of more or less a month. And it's it's great. Uh, I, I I enjoyed watching him so much because it seems like he has a surprisingly high ceiling for a guy who never did that much at at the challenger level before. Well, before July, realistically, because Tua was, I guess, at the at the end of uh, June, the beginning of July, that was his first semifinal. <laughs> now now was his second. Of course, the like the key moment of the run will be the the win against Arnaldi, but. Even the final, even though Vavasari had this spy issue that he that he needed some attention for, I think it was really a perfect performance in how he uh, well just kept Vavasari from approaching the net because it it seems that the the twenty seven year old Italian whom we have talked a lot uh, about in two thousand twenty one. Uh, you know, if, if if you keep him behind, there's not that many players at challenger level he's going to beat. And Brancaccio just did it really perfectly with this, with his forehand, with how he, how well he hit over the slice and and etc. Yeah, Vavasori obviously didn't really get the opportunity to show up in the final, but still an, an incredibly impressive week from him. Uh, he gets to move up thirty-five spots, number two hundred and ten, his new career high ranking. Uh, and his week began with a six-one in the third win over Jonas Foretek. Uh, then he took out Bastaro, 6-love, six, 6-3. Six, then Boscatin Diaz, 6-1, 6-1. Six, 6-3 six, six, in the third win over Renzo Olivo in the semifinals. Uh, yeah. Where, where, how far do you think Babasori can take this? Like, what, what do you think will end up being his career high ranking? Oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, last year, we thought that he should give singles a try, right? And like 
I don't think we really thought he was going to uh, make a Grand Slam major debut, and he's already done yeah. that, which is crazy. Uh, for what for what it's worth, I think his run this week was slightly less in slightly less uh, great than it might look. Mostly as Passaro was just dead tired, even in his first round match, where we, by the way, I don't know, if, we're probably not going to talk about it later. So I'll just say that we had this super weird. Uh, situation when Passaro and Ukarabelli faced each other and they were the two highest ranked players in the tournament <laughs> obviously because Camilo didn't sign up for the main draw and he qualified uh, Passaro won but then just didn't have anything left for Papasori and he was also out of fuel in the in the opening round so Poscard um, Diaz he just proved this week even if well he he saved a few match points against Colarini then Colarini got injured I think Poscard Diaz is just kind of proving that um, the South American events that he got, well, made headlines in, I guess. Uh, yeah, just they just were at a sort of a weaker level than than these Europeans for sure. That these European ones for sure. And I, I just don't think Vavasori's run was that great. But it's not like he hasn't done it a lot of times before. He made these semi quarters on clay last year. He made them. I, I'm not sure he, if he had a run like this in 2020. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm avoiding the answer to the question. Uh, he's very close to the top 200 now. Definitely capable of getting there. I wish he played a bit more on faster surfaces, I suppose. But the reality is that most of the challenger tour right now is on clay, especially Italian events. Maybe at mm -hmm. the at the end of the year when when he gets to play like Barrio or Tisei, that's where he could he could go huge. I think he made the semis in Bari last year, so. Uh, that would certainly make a lot of sense. I don't know. Top 50, top 150-ish is, I guess, realistic. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it certainly seems like it, especially if he starts scheduling more around uh, indoor hard and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. rather than, uh, but obviously, it makes sense for him. I feel like his priority is maybe still doubles. Uh, because we're, it, because it could be, doubles. yeah. It could be. Uh, he, he gets to be, you know, uh, one of the top two C's usually with 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 a different guy uh, almost each week. Uh, he's he swapped around a lot this season uh, when it comes to partners. Um, and yeah, I I feel like that's still the parity for him, even though he clearly has shown his potential in the singles as well. Uh, right, we can go to our semifinalists. Uh, we had Renzo Olivo, who we uh, opened with, uh, sort of. Uh, he beat Vatutin, Skatov, and Pellegrino uh, in the quarterfinals there. Lost to Vavasori in three, his fourth challenger semifinal in 2022. What did you think of him this week? Yeah, I'd sort of connect this to the Bellier loss. Like he, in both cases, he lost to a player who was rushing the net a lot and just seemed really tripped up by it. You know, he maybe mm -hmm. shouldn't, but I guess I suppose it might make sense because Olivo is just such a good baseliner. And when someone throws him out of that rhythm, you know, he's so great at scrambling for balls and all. And when someone, uh, well, I guess when you're playing a servant volleyer, you're doing a lot of scrambling, but it's all, it's all a little bit different. And I guess he just doesn't really like that. Uh, you know, Pellegrino, I, I suppose, is a very good matchup for him because Pellegrino just plays at that steady big pace when he when he's on and then that's what olivo is kind of specializing in uh destroying i suppose 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel like uh, we've now seen twice Vavasori and Belier rushing the net against Olivo is, is a very strong tactic. Uh, just because this guy is so used to the baseline ball and he's so good at it uh, that you just sort of have to try and give him a different look, make him try and pass you, make him try and come up with shots that he's not that used to coming up with when he, when he just plays from the baseline all the time. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, we can also talk about Dardelli, who was our second seed this week. He beat Cipoleo, uh, then Marojan, and then Fonio in the quarterfinals, losing uh, to Brancaccio in three sets. Also his fourth challenger semifinal this season. Uh, yeah, what did you think of him? Yeah, he was supposed to uh, have that very tough opener against uh, Matteo Gigante, but Gigante withdrew. I don't know. I've I've sort of been sleeping on their daddy. Like I I don't feel like he has a very a lot of room to grow. But I gotta say that making at least the quarterfinals in five of his last six challengers is pretty sick stuff. Uh, only really had this one first round loss to Colarini. Uh, the forehand is definitely a, a a very nice shot. And even maybe I'm really too harsh on the guy because if you if you remember some of the matches he lost to, like the, the quarters to Pasero in Todi, or especially that semi in Tumunar in Perugia, uh, th- these matches were really just excellent from, from start to finish. And and yeah, uh, definitely will get, uh, will get to a spot where he can win a challenger at some point. We'll see if he takes it. He had this one final in, in Sao Paulo, which seemed pretty random, but yeah, he's clearly proving this year that it wasn't at all. Yeah, uh, anybody else you want to talk about in the singles? No, probably not. So we can go to the doubles where uh, Vladislav Manafov and Oleg Prichotko, the Ukrainian team, won 12-10 in the, fa- in, in the, in the super tiebreak over Fabian Marojan and Lukas Rosol. Uh, I just thought it was a funny contrast for Maroshan. It was his first uh, challenger final doubles for uh, Rosso, his 28th. <laughs> uh, so, you know, two guys at the different ends of their careers for sure. And we can close out with Winnipeg, where we had Emilio Gomez, the second seed, beating Alexis Galarno 6 3 7 6 in the final, uh, winning, the tit- winning his fourth challenger title, uh, moving up 25 spots, number 121. Uh, he did not drip. He did not drop a single set all week, uh, starting with a win over Billy Harris, then Mejia, uh, Olivieri, and then finally Quaco before beating Galarno. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Emilio Gomez? Yeah, he he's just really good at these weaker events recently, like winning in Salinas twice, Winnipeg, which perhaps wasn't that weak from the very beginning with Brody with Mo with Edmund even, with Hichikata, with, with these guys, but then every one of these just lost. And Gomez was sort of there to, to pick up the pieces and he's just been so excellent at that. Um, yeah, do I, I mean, still Emilio Gomez and potentially breaking the top 100, that seems wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but, but that, I mean, he's just so, he's just so such a basic, I guess he likes playing kind of offensively, but he's just, I don't know, you know, this is very, this very steady, basic ball striker. I don't know. 
it just it just seems kind of wrong i i'm happy about him in the like the 140th position qualifying for a few slums um, i can i can remember two maybe maybe there was one more or something i, I i'm happy about him in this sort of position but being 70 points away from the top 100 i don't know uh but but if he if he gets there then it's not it's gonna be for a reason right and and one of these reasons was just that when he when he plays even talented guys like here because he played them Quaco looks very good in the first couple of matches Galarno of course had some physical issues but in general he he will probably win some of these uh, some of these smaller challengers as well at some point and yeah Gomez is just capable every single time of of dealing with these guys so it's a it's a virtue that's for sure and yeah I will I will finish there because I don't uh, know he he just doesn't really strike me as what I want to have in the top 100 I'm sorry that is very interesting you're sort of the last person that I would have thought that I would hear the take to like potentially like award these guys fewer points so they don't get to the, <laughs> the top 100 as easily uh almost but i mean yeah. I, I didn't really say that right <laughs> no 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 i mean it's it, it sort of i i guess it sort of like twisted it a little bit um but it, yeah i mean he he does he does get his results with these sort of weaker fields uh on the challenger tour and that has gotten him to the point where he is almost at the top 100 uh which is which is quite interesting 121 in the rankings right but you know it's it's yeah. so tight right now that he basically yeah. wins lexington next week and he's in the top 100 which is it is pretty crazy to think about uh yeah yeah i mean it would certainly be weird um i don't know if it would be uh like a sort of jolt to the tour to to redo the the points or something like that probably not uh but but, but it certainly would make some people think uh i think we can go to Alex Galerno now, though, uh, who started against Ulysses Blanche, saving two match points in the second set, uh, but coming out on top 6-2 in the third. Uh, then he being uh, Lin Wu in the second round, uh, took out Liam Brody, who was the top seed in uh, the quarterfinals, 6-3 in the third. Evan Zhu in the semis, 6-3-7-5. And then, yeah, just had some physical issues in that second set. But, I mean, mounted a little bit of a, of a comeback. I thought that we might be recording this podcast even later. Uh, that we of him. So yeah, what did you think of Galano this week? Sure, um, this was a bit of a crazy run, that's for sure, with the medical timeouts against Brody as well. Uh, I don't think the standard of play was really excellent there. Um, I, I'm kind of. It, it's pretty funny that we've been doing this for so long that I can say that even before Galano graduated, I was we were like. Uh, definitely, I, I remember talking a lot about Kovacevic and Galerno, although clearly Alex Kovacevic has the higher ceiling than than, than this guy, just just, you know, just based on how they play. But they're actually going to be in pretty similar ranking spots right now on the mm -hmm. one day. I, I think so. No, yeah, but because so, Galerno, uh, didn't, Galerno didn't win. So I get, oh, they're, they're actually pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, so, so so I forgot to say Galerino was at 52 spots, number 238, breaking the top 250. Uh, uh, very fast, very good at reading the game, of course. And I, I really like that version of him when he's forced to go for his shots more. And this was the case in the first set against Brody. This was the case in the second set against Gomez. 
uh that that that's what i like the most and i guess you could you guys could just call me you know an idiot because i want everyone to play aggressively and some players just shouldn't but yeah that that that's where i uh, i like that version of galerno which just really you know comes out there and just plays huge huge shots not really fearing anything maybe it's not the the version of him that has the uh the highest floor maybe it's even not the one that has uh the highest ceiling but that's that's the one i wanna i wanna watch i'm actually like followed by like a few members of the galarno family on facebook which is kind of uh, facebook twitter uh which is kind of stressful honestly because they seem to like the uh like the tweets or even recently joined because we were doing this sort of like a, a space or whatever it's called on twitter and uh, Felix or someone or Max Galarno or something like this called and yeah uh, joined in and I was uh, you know a little stressed out by this but hopefully they don't <laughs> they don't listen to the podcast so. <laughs> yeah hopefully hopefully we don't <laughs> yeah that, that'll be quite weird uh, but speaking of weird runs uh, that we had this week let's talk about Evan Zhu uh, who reached the semifinals as a qualifier uh, started with uh, losing 6-1 the first set uh, to Tahabadi in qualifying uh, but came back to win one 6 7 6 6 one then against Liam Draxel, similar situation, goes, out, goes down 2-6, uh, losing the first set, but then comes back to win 6-1 in the third again. Uh, then 6-4 in the third against Kaichi Uchida, 6-4 in the third over Alafia Ayeni. And then he makes the semifinal here. Yeah, what did you think of him? Um, Ala, uh, sorry, I got lost. Even Zhu, you mean? Yes, yeah. Uh, yes, um, even Zhu uh, had, uh, I, I heard, I didn't see that much in the qualifying, that he had some terrible leg issues, that he was basically like had it taped like a mummy and wasn't was barely moving at some points. And then he, well, apparently the situation got better as the week went on. And he had this phenomenal match against Drax where he saved seven match points in one game. Uh, he was just blasting backhand winners all over the place in that in that one. Uh, I mean, in in that game that he that that he broke Draxel in, uh, that was that was pretty crazy. And even the rest of his runs, it was until he lost all all, all in three sets. Uh, I honestly just just have no clue if this is repeatable again. Uh, you know, the draw wasn't wasn't too big but i i love the aggression that he played with in in the in the key moments against drugs and just how clean the, the the ball striking from the backhand wing was i have no idea how he was able to do that uh you know with with such pressure on him um and and against god no, it seemed like he actually might have a pretty decent matchup but uh, I guess just Alexis has that tiny bit more punch to to really like dictate the rallies in this one. Yeah, and our other semifinalist was Enzo Kwako, uh, who started uh, against Vasek Pospisil, getting the retirement at, at four love in the third. Uh, then he beat Aiden McHugh and Lee too uh, to reach the semifinal. What did you think of him? Uh, I will keep rambling on about this. His serve is really underrated. <laughs> I feel like I've said it a billion times this year. And honestly, at some point, I thought he might even be winning this week. Um, yeah, just seem, just seem to be playing 
some very high quality tennis compared to the rest of the guys but i guess as usual i sort of underestimated gomez because it's it's very hard to uh often it's very hard to say when gomez will have that you know, run where he's yes. actually beating these guys like mejia olivieri har is just so comfortably and uh, his uh, grand slam qualifying grounds were just as tough to predict and it's uh, yeah I just sort of forgot about Gomez and thought Kouakom could be could be winning this one, but yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Gomez is virtually unpickable. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to predict. Salinas um, next. Salinas 2023, and I guess Salinas yeah. till the end, till the uh, till lock the, it out, lock it in. Yeah, yeah till the end of his career. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought we should also talk about uh, Alafia Ayeni, uh, who came out of qualifying to reach the quarters. Some big wins, uh, starting as Pedro Larakis in qualifying, then took out Michael Moe and Kyle Edmund uh, before losing to Evan Zhu. Uh, yeah, what did you think of Ayeni? Yeah, big wins indeed. Um, I was like, even if you look at his Nur Sultan run, uh, just you know, the previous week. And the guy literally plays three setters in the qualifying against Karl Kjur Saar from Estonia, currently unranked, his only professional match of the year, and Egor Noskin, uh, currently outside the top 1000, uh, carry high 986. And this guy struggles against them, then beats Tash Bulatov, who's like 0 for 12 in, in Kazakh Challengers or something. And actually plays a very decent match against Safiulin, which was just wild. And this week he made three insane upsets. Uh, I have no idea where it came from. Uh, again, against Edmund, that that these four set points in the opening set, the way he just, I don't know, these guys just have no fear on the Challenger Tour recently. They just, I have no idea how they do that, if they all signed up for a sports psychologist or I don't know. But yeah, just, just, just the way he just ran at Edmund and he had this phenomenal point in there. I think it was for four, four, six, where he was like wall at the net. I, I have no idea where Ayeni like came from. Obviously, he played uh, the Pro Tour before. That, that's uh, that's for sure. And I mean, I I'm, I'm assuming that if some people watched the Challenger Tour more in 2019, they were probably pretty familiar with Alafiani. Like they 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 must have known uh, more about him. They must have watched some of his matches because he was actually pretty consistently in the main in main draws back then. But since then, he was only like he he hadn't played the Challenger. He actually played qualifying for Maya in 2020, but I didn't remember that at all. And then he randomly shows up in Nur Sultan, struggles against some random guys and does this in Winnipeg. I, I cannot understand it. And obviously super excited to, to see what INE is going to do in, in, you know, in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, I mean, looking at uh, his sort of uh, the the college where he went, it was Cornell, and then I think he mm -hmm. transferred to Kentucky. Those, I mean, could be richer schools that have sports psychologists and stuff like that for their players. <laughs> I'm not really sure enough about college to to make that call. And Cornell uh, is a is a very famous one, right? I think yeah, it's in, in a, a very rich school as well. So, so they definitely. What, what's the name been. for the for like the best colleges? Ivy League, Ivy League yeah. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, so it's certainly possible. But yeah, he played with no fear against Cal Edmund, who was, you know, former number 14, I think. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, we should definitely mention Cal Edmund himself as, as well, uh, playing his first tournament since Vienna in October 2020. It's been so hard for him to make this comeback. Uh, it's taken so long, but he, he's looked sort of decent uh, for his first matches back, beating Habib and then Hijikata before losing to Ayeni. Um, it, it certainly gets him some points, and he was due to be unranked, I think, next week. Um, his his final points from 2019 were going to come off, and now he has these 11 points to sort of keep him in the rankings. At least, uh, I think he's playing some... Uh, I, I think he's playing Washington and then Winston-Salem. Yeah. I don't know when we're going to see him next. Uh, but yeah, what did you sort of think of Cal Edmund on his comeback? How do you see it going for him going forward as well? I think this was a very encouraging week. Uh, playing Hijikata, playing Khabib, these aren't tough. Uh, the, I mean, these aren't easy opponents in your first two matches back. Uh, Khabib was probably the most dangerous player in the qualifying. Hijikata, one of the worst draws in round one. Uh, very surprised he lost to Ayeni after that, but I mean the the physical feat of winning, I don't know five six matches, which he would have needed here to to get to the final, uh, is just really huge after not playing for such a long time as well because he he was missing for twenty one months something around along the, uh, something along these lines, and uh, yeah I think especially in the Rinki matchup we sort of saw how devastating that power will be. Uh, not only from the forehand, his backhand was just um, you know, the, the hitting from the backhand was very high quality as well. Uh, Washington will be a big test, I suppose. I don't know if he's ready for it, but based on what we saw in Winnipeg, I think we might expect that at some point Edmund will be back to you know the player that we know he can be. Yeah, I mean, I'm cer- I was certainly hoping that we see him again uh, on the Challenger Tour. He'll be a great addition to these draws that we get. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see where he chooses to use his protected rankings and how he schedules. Uh, over to the doubles, where we had this sort of random pairing of Billy Harris and uh, Kelsey Stevenson win the title. Uh, first title for, for either player. Uh, certainly a surprising one, and they beat the top seats, Max Schnur and John Patrick Smith, uh, 2-6, 7-6, 11-9 in that tiebreaker, and then 10-8 in the super tiebreaker, saving two match points. Uh, very impressive performance from two guys who had never been there before against Schnur, for who, who was the 22nd challenger final, and for J.P. Smith, for who was the 55th uh, challenger final. Uh, but yeah, very, very, very impressive. And I think that we can go on to match of the week and upset of the week. Uh, yeah, wh- who was your upset? Yeah, I think I will have to go with Lok over Chalik Bilek. But you know, not not seeing it is not seeing it. I mean, I I want to go for it because of the extent of that loss, but not seeing it is sort of a bummer because I don't really know what happened there. So maybe yeah, let let's just go Justino over Struve. Uh, we both picked him, as we said, and um, I just thought that he will do in Zook what he did in Braunschweig, that he's just going to destroy the field. And I guess he just didn't play well against Kopejans as well, but um, it's Justino attitude. You know, it, it didn't really seem like a threat. 
and yeah and then he i think he was even like he came back from 5-2 in the second then had some had some chances to to level the match yeah just definitely not something i expected yeah, I, I've gone for the same. Uh, Justino Struff. I just had a lot of belief in Struff heading into this week. And uh, yeah, Justino was not somebody I expected to to end his run uh, at all. Uh, yeah, who'd you go for with match of the week? I don't know yet. So maybe, maybe you can start. <laughs> I'll, I'll start with uh, I've gone for Grenier beating Umber. Uh, I thought it was a pretty interesting match. You know, the, 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 the different swings in there. Uh, and yeah, ultimately Grenier coming on the top. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, on, to be honest, my my challenger watching this week was a bit hampered by Warsaw, but I still got a fair amount of watching in, and I'm not not really sure what to do. Let let me maybe go for a super random pick and say uh, Edmund beating uh, Hichikata. I mean, straight sets, but I thought it was very nice quality and just super cool to see Kyle playing at this level again. All right, cool. We can go over to our previews um, on the winner's picks. Nobody picked the winner, so it's still 13-12 to me. Um, but we can start in Lexington with the previews, which has sort of this very... Like I, I was confused looking at this field. I, I was going through the draw and I was like, well, "Why is this guy here? Why is this guy not here?" <laughs> uh, quite, <laughs> quite confusing. Uh, but we have Safiulin as the top seed playing a qualifier. Uh, then he plays Torpegat or Asikumar. Uh, Yunchen Chang uh, is in the main draw here playing a qualifier, and then Michal Kukushkin or Milan Harion. Then we have Guys Brauer playing a qualifier, and then Yunseung Chong. Or Roberto Quiroz. Aiden McHugh plays Billy Harris in an all-British derby in the first round. Uh, and the winner of that will face the winner of an all-American derby between Alexander Kovacevic and Zachary Schweida. Then we have Enzo Kwako playing Evan Zhu. Uh, the winner of that plays Keegan Smith or Lee Du. Brandon Holt plays a qualifier. And then Govinanda or third seed Dalibor Svercina. General Alberto Olivieri plays Andrew Harris and then Hadi, Hadi Habib or Nicolas Mejia. And Emilio Gomez is here playing a qualifier and then Steven Diaz or another qualifier. In the qualifying singles, I think they're playing uh, just now as we're recording this. Uh, I, I think I saw that Donald Young was out. Ryan Harrison is still in. Uh, Gage Breimer, uh, um, Kyle Selig. Yeah, not, nobody really who's going to be winning this tournament, I don't think. Over in the doubles, we have uh, guys like uh, Evan King playing with Atem Sitak. Yuncheng Shang and Li Tu play together. Uh, then we have Cash and Patton. We remember them, of course, from the, from the grass swing. I'm curious to see what they're going to play here. Uh, we have Bambri and Mineni as the second seeds. Um, Petros Tsitsipas is here playing with Billy Harris. Sort of a random pairing. Uh, Raja Sharan are together as well uh yeah what did you think of the main draw well, maybe maybe Alafiani is winning this one from the qualifying uh <laughs> well probably not uh Ryan Harrison played Petros Tsitsipas today which was just a wild first round matchup uh, but yeah I, I I generally agree that that probably neither of these guys is is doing that well uh Ogura beating Young that's that's also amazing yeah but uh yeah, the, the the draw is is truly 
extremely weird. Like Dali Borstina, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> Kwakoju is a is a very tough first round matchup that potentially takes one of the one of the winner picks away. Svaida Kovacevic, I want to see it, although Svaida has been underwhelming recently, that's for sure. McHugh Harris, that sounds pretty good if McHugh can play as well as he did last year. It, it's really hard to go for some winner picks here because, well, Kukushkin, I don't trust him physically to win five matches. Um, you know, Torpegard, I don't think we're in Ohio, are we? No, Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lexington is in Kentucky, so... Uh, so definitely not picking him either. Brower has lost his form, it seems. Emilio Gomez is an actual option, you know, and I, I, I might, I might do it. I think because uh, the other one is really Roman Sefiulin, probably. Like that's Kovacevic is a very solid pick too. I think. Yeah, I, I will go for Emilio Gomez. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy because back to back they often even withdraw, uh, but. I mean, the draw is just so good. Besides maybe Habib, but still, if Habib plays Gomez in the quarterfinals, I'm probably still happy with taking Gomez. Yeah, let, let's go with Emilio Gomez to go back-to-back -back, uh, and break the top 100. It would be crazy. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to... I'm not sure if I want to see it like from the standpoint that, you know, I want players with something exceptional in the top 100. But with the draw he has, I think it's possible. Yeah, Gomez, I certainly considered it's a it's a very, very nice draw. I just don't think of him as someone who goes back to back uh in these situations. Although I mean Salinas he got close, I think, right, last year. Um or or, or did he actually go back to back in Salinas? Uh, no, I think Jari won the first one, but I, I don't know what Gomez did in the in the first one. Uh, that I can't remember. He was in the final for the first one, no? No, he lost in the opening round to Casanova. Oh, Okay, right. Jari played anyway. like Mejia in the in the final there or something like that. Yes, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, mixed them up. Um, yeah, Gomez not going for him. Who I am going for is Kovacevic. Uh, the run seems a, a bit tougher than for Gomez, but when you look at it match by match, Svaida is out of form. Brower isn't where he was at earlier in the season. Uh, so I sort of like him to get out of that section. Then I think the trouble comes in the semifinals with Safulin, who I think would also be a decent pick here. Uh, but yeah, Kovacevic, I'm going with. All right. Let's go to Cordenons, where we have the top seed, a wild card, Laszlo Jere, uh, who I think hasn't played a challenger since 2020, um, which is certainly interesting. Not somebody that we see around these parts at all, really. Uh, <laughs> he opens against a qualifier and then Andrea Pellegrino or another qualifier. In this section is Ednes Gubis with a special exempt playing Nicolas Sanchez Izquierdo, uh, the winner of that match playing Ricardo Bonadio or Alexander Muller. Then we have a huge first round match here, Pavel Kotov uh, playing Zhizhen Zhang in the first round. That is a huge first round match, two potential contenders for me uh, meeting up here. The winner of that plays Raul Cancio or Nikola Milojevic. Stefano Travaglia plays, plays Nino Sedarusic, and then Zdenje Kolaj plays a qualifier. Marco Cecchinato plays a qualifier, and then Andrea Vavasori or Jeffrey Blancano, two guys coming off of very strong weeks. Then we have Daderi playing Jumhur, who is, who is on the comeback. Uh, Ugo Karabey plays Zepieri. 
Koboli plays Arnaldi and De Jong plays Cuarini. And the second seat, Juan Manuel Serudnolo plays Gianmarco Ferrari. And then one of the two qualifiers. In qualifying, we have guys like uh, Mattia Bellucci, uh, Kimer Kopejans, Mariusz Kopil, a couple of these um, veterans. Nicolas Moreno de Alboran is also here. Um, so yeah, it should be an interesting field. In the doubles, uh, we have the Savano brothers, uh, Borbolotti and Martos Gornes have been a bit of a fixture in these deeper rounds this year. Molchanov and Zelenai are, are uh, Zelenai once again taking out a tilt at that uh, record. Uh, Brown plays with Vavasori, uh, Kornea plays with Collage. Uh, so a pretty, pretty strong uh, doubles field that we have here. But going back to the main draw, uh, yeah, who are you looking at here for potential picks? Yeah. I guess from the qualifying, you could think that Mattia Bellucci could do something, but not in this, you know, not with the field of this quality. Copy, 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 copy. That's kind of, that's kind of cool. Just a very vintage matchup. Yeah, Jerry, can he win this event? That's the question. I mean, he's lost 18 tie breaks in a row, but when you think of that, he actually hasn't, like, for, for this record, because it, it is an, a major record, of course, one over Robin Hasse. Um, like for this record, he's, he actually hasn't been doing that poorly. He's like barely under 50% win rate for the year. Mm. <sighs> but do I trust him to win this event? Uh, I, I really don't know. Cot of Zhang, that's like a, wow, that's a, that's a blockbuster. And if it was if it was in May, I'd be saying that this is incredible. Right now, Zhang could even have the edge because Kotov just hasn't played much recently, and I don't know. Uh, Serundolo obviously not to be trusted. Zapieri, Hugo Carabelli, Koboli, Arnaldi. That these first round matchups are too good to go there. I am going to go with Lashto Jerry, but uh, I don't know. It's just the the safest way out. But whether I trust this peak, actually, nah. I mean, not really. I could totally see him losing to Pellegrino or, well, maybe not Bonadio Miller. These matchups seem pretty good for him. But Kotov Zhang or someone in the final, I can totally see him losing. But let's pick Jerry. I think he's the, the safest option. Yeah, that's certainly not something I would, I would expect from you. It's, it's a very pick unlike you, I think. Uh, but it's certainly interesting. Yeah, as as you say, Xi Zhang, I'm staring him in the face, but Kotov is right there, and I just cannot pick him here. Uh, Ugu Karabe, I thought about for a bit. He 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 looked okay against Passaro, uh, and it, it was a tough first rounder for sure. But then Sepieri and Darderi and Chekinato around him, I don't really like it. So I'm going to go for the one that you cannot trust. I'm going to go with Juan Manuel Serundolo. I feel like he is. Due uh, a title, sort of. Obviously, he has had these weird fitness issues throughout the season. Um, I, I, the, the, the first rounds are quite nice. I think even the quarterfinal against Koboli isn't the worst draw uh, that, that we have in this uh, tournament. So, yeah, Serundola for me. Okay, yeah. So, the, the only one we have left is Liberets. Yeah, Liba has sort of left the, the best for the last, it seems. It's it, it's a pretty strong field here with Yiri Lehechka at the helm, uh, playing Nikola Kuhn, and then Lorenzo Giustino or qualifier. 
Vítko Pšivako is Dure Ajdukovic and then Oleksi Krutich or Andrew Paulson. We have Norbert Gombos playing Pedro Souza and then Jonas Foretek or Oriol Rokapataya. Uh, Gerald Notzer plays a qualifier and then Lukáš Klein or another qualifier. Manuel Ginard plays a qualifier and then Otto Vitanen or another qualifier. Tomáš Machaj meets up with Sebastian Ofner in the first round, which is a pretty big uh, winner that gets to play Louis Vessels or qualifier. And then we have Nuno Borges playing Timofey Skatov and then Fabian Marojan or Michal Verbensky. Yuri Rodionov plays Cedric Masoštebe and then Nikolas Alvarez Varona plays Daniel Siniakov. In the qualifying, uh, we have guys like Sachko, Yevseev, uh, Mpechi Pericard is there in the second round. Uh, Matthias Bachinger is here after getting a second round, a second set of retirement from Shafranik. Uh, Mayer, yeah, just, just some guys really. Uh, in the doubles, we have Edler Midler uh, playing together. Lukas Rossel teams with Nikola Kuhn. We have Yevavi and Pavlasek. Uh, Dumbia and Rebul are here. Uh, so some pretty big teams should be in interesting contest. But going back to the main draw, who do you like here for your winner pick? Yeah, the top seed in qualifying, as you said, is Sachko. And I I just randomly can give you the uh, the fun fact that he played Jurgen Chop today in uh, the Superliga. Oh. And uh, actually won just 7-5 and 7-5. So don't that uh, not that comfortable. That would have been quite the story if if the Estonian still beats players of of Sachko's quality, but yeah. well, apparently not. Yeah, and in terms of who I want to go for, yeah, Mahach playing his first match since April and he gets Ofner. Wow, that's uh, yeah, that's right. really awful for him. Junior Borges would always be a, like a very like you, you said that the the pick that I made with Jere is unlike me. I think mm-hmm. Borges would be like the you know, the classic vintage Diamond Coast pick. <laughs> but uh, yeah, do I trust him to just translate his game quickly from these hard courts in Spain to clay here? That is the big deal. Uh, I honestly just want to slap off Ner, even though he has Mahach in the opening round. You know, but fitness concerns, I have no clue how he's going to be. Uh, Lukas Klein is unseated, but also a decent peak. Gombos is also a decent peak. Lehechka, I don't know if to trust him again. I'm not going to go for that. Or actually, who did I go? Oh, I didn't go with Safiulin. I went with Gomez. Okay, so I can't go for, you know, three top six. No. Yeah. No. I'm afraid I'm left with... Uh, no choice but to go for a pick that's not going to be thematic in any way. And I am going to go with Sebastian Ofner. I don't care. I don't care if he plays Mahaj. If he, if he comes through, I think he's got a very easy semi-final coming. And yeah, I truly believe that this year he's played better than, than ever. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Ofner is having a great season. Um, wasn't really expecting it, to be honest. Uh, so I will go for the pick that I expected, and that is Yezhi Lehechka. I mean, I looked at Gombos pretty deeply. I was thinking about him a lot. Uh, Borges, I, I thought about a bit. But Lehechka, I think, is, is just a solid pick. He should definitely make it out of his quarter. Uh, last week, you know, pretty pretty decent results over, over Montero and Souza pushed Bautista Agut uh, in the quarters. Yeah, I, I think that... At this level, he should be through to the semis at the very least, and then he, he certainly can win the title. All right. 
and that will be it as you could see that yeah. wasn't really uh quick as we, as i as i thought it was at the beginning <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just just three events to talk about. So I guess next week's episode will not be that long then uh, mm -hmm. because the recaps usually take more than previews. Uh, before we go, I also have to mention that uh, Pavel Chash won a 15K this week. So, uh, <laughs> well, uh, his first title in five years. And it's actually like the, the, the real struggle of following um lower ranked players i suppose that when they get thrashed by arnaldi or misolic i could watch it but when he wins a 15k there's no stream because polish polish itfs don't care and uh well yeah but i mean you 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 want to know the real story you want to know who was the doubles finalist in lodge milos karol and lukas pokorny oh yeah so there you have it uh, yeah, so we we both got something out of out of Lodge uh, this week. Yeah, it's it's Wooch, but you know that's fine. Uh, I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be angry about pronunciations because it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, and I hope that we're going to see uh, Chash at least twice in in Challengers this year. And Kozerki and Szczecin. I don't know if Kozerki is actually realistic. I, I guess he should get in from for the qualifying. So that's why it was relevant. That's why I had to mention it. I think we can see Karol and Pokorne in some in, in Bratislava, right? That's so that's why uh your, yeah. your mention was also very relevant. Uh so yeah, yeah, let's let's finish it right here. And we're gonna meet you guys next week to discuss Liberets, Cordenons, and Lexington. Very easy to repeat these names this week because there's only three. Bye. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.